I realized I couldn't buy things where I could see campus from them because they were just too freaking expensive. Concurrently, I also realized that if I could add to the number of bedrooms, I could increase rental value. So my strategy was to start focusing on the B and C ring around campus and forget about the A ring and and move out a little farther and then only focus on properties that had an upside of square footage. Welcome to the Good Stewards Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to seasoned real estate investors who want to maximize the cash flow potential in their business. We are buy and hold investors with a thousand plus properties and markets across the U.S. who bring an insider's view into the nitty gritty details of real estate investing. If you're looking to develop the mindset, teams, and systems that can dramatically build your real estate business and net worth, you're in the right place. Welcome to this episode of the Good Stewards Podcast. I'm Ryan Dossie. I'm Amanda Perkins. I'm Bill Sirius. And I'm Andrew Sirius. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Good Stewards Podcast. Again, please check out our website, thegoodstewards.com, download our free ebook, and share our content. We very much appreciate it. Today, we're going into strategy, business strategy, adjusting your strategy, doing all those sorts of things. So there's all the ins and outs, the how to do this, how to do rehab, how to do property management, but it all comes together in one cohesive business strategy or at least it should. In theory, it, it should, and it kind of needs to. In addition, there's the shiny object syndrome, wanting to do all sorts of things because they're new and exciting, whereas what you're doing now is old and boring. Uh, and so th- that, that can lead you astray. Shiny objects are often you know, fool's gold. But at the same point, that doesn't mean that you should stick with the same thing forever. You might know typewriters extraordinarily well, but at some point, it's time to adjust your strategy. Uh, they're not, uh, things, things change, things move on. You do need to, you need to, you need to change with the time. The only constant is change, as they say. Right now, we are dealing with this in this whole COVID situation, the, the economic lockdown. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty. A lot of people are upset, people yelling at each other, and all sorts of legal things going into place as well. Restrictions. Seattle has just announced that, for example, after the lockdown ends, which whenever that is, I think it'll probably be in May, maybe it'll be in, maybe they'll push it back into June. Uh, evictions will be postponed or banned for at least six months after the ban is ended. And so Seattle's already a very, very difficult market to rent in to begin with. That makes it all the more tricky. So these legal issues might, they might not make it so that you have to change strategy, but you certainly have to adjust tactics. And, uh, and, and perhaps they get so arduous that you do want to change strategies and move perhaps to a different market or move to flipping or something like that if, you're, if you live in Seattle. But that is, that is a problem that we all face and we all have to weigh these, these pros and cons of, of different strategies and, different, and moving to different niches very carefully. Uh, but we do have to do it. I hadn't heard that about Seattle, but it sounds like something that um, Portland, Oregon would also adopt. And what, so say you are a, an investor in that market and you can't deal with, um, what is your strategy for dealing with a ban on evictions if people decide not to pay? Like what on the fly, like, you know, you're in this market, what would you do? I think the first thing to do would be to contact your lender on the properties that you're having difficulty collecting rent. I think there'd probably be a lot of understanding in in a specific market by a lender who realizes that 
residents are not being required to pay rent for six months. So I think that's about the only strategy you have. Uh, You're kind of locked into the properties you own and what you're doing with them. I mean, I think we're talking about strategy on a little different level when we talk about pivoting into a different niche. In that case, it's it's all about communication with the lender and being very conscious of the fact that uh, that you you need to you need to have a relation or you need to build a relationship that will help you get through whatever you need to get through. I mean, I think if you were thinking about if we were trying to tie that into sort of like a pivot, this would be something that you'd be looking at in. I mean, say seven or eight months when we're talking about when we're back out in the world and the, you know, basically that sounds like an eviction ban through the end of 2020. So, so does that Pretty mean much. in 2021 in a market like that? I mean, would that be like a market that seems like viable for you to like figure out like, you know, there's got to be an in there that could change things that could be, you know, an opportunity there. But is that something that I mean, there's you would probably going to be a lot of at? landlords probably going to be a lot of landlords going bankrupt so there could be opportunity to purchase there unfortunately um but that is something to look into as well i guess and then you just think like okay if this was a market that did it one time are you going to get yourself into this market because it seems like it you know they'll just probably continue coming in and trying to make things um, muddy the waters for an investor because putting an eviction ban has a lot of unintended consequences that I feel like people aren't when they're legislating to try to make a rule to save a few there's a lot of unintended consequences there that trickle down to everything else because maybe there were only five percent of people that were struggling with their rents and they made this they put this in effect over 100 percent of people like, is this a market you would want to get into, knowing that this is how their city is going to respond? Well, in general, it seems like uh, landlord-friendly states, counties, are are superior to ones that aren't in the sense that, you know, if you're always having to both uh, fight city hall because there's increasingly restrictive uh, laws coming down on landlords, then you that might change your strategy somewhat where you where you're going to direct your your attention where you're going to direct your efforts at investing i know people who pulled out of states pulled out of cities because of this very reason that it just gotten too onerous um i mean oregon for instance is the first state to put in uh a restrictive law that uh, allows uh, landlords to only raise rent certain amount kind of thing now of course uh, there are eastern cities like New York that have those kind of laws in place, but those are increasingly becoming true in in uh, in a number of states. And so, I think you just gotta you gotta look look at what you've got in front of you and and make those kind of determinations. So there might be instances where it gets too arduous, too difficult, and city halls basically made it impossible for landlords to make any money, or something else has happened that makes that possible. In that case, it makes sense to switch. But regardless of the general, like, it makes sense to switch sometimes. Most of the time, the general rule of thumb is you want to focus. You want to stay focused on your niche, master that niche, and be a master of one trade and not a jack of all. You know, I think of Jim Collins' book, uh, by the way, I've got laryngitis, for those of you who think I normally talk this way. 
But he has the uh, hedgehog concept. His book, Good to Great, is really worth reading at this point because it's the intersection of three circles that should drive your business strategy. And those three are, what do I, what am I passionate about? What could I be the best in the world at? And what drives my economic engine? And that applied to real estate, I think, will set you on a course that uh, makes a lot of sense. I just remember early on when I was finding tremendous success with student rental properties, I ended up buying a whole street of houses in a little community about 20 miles, well, nearly 20 miles away. And that killed my my more lucrative strategy for about a year because it took my eye off the ball of what was really driving my economic engine. It was a, it was a bad call on my part. I made decent money, but it was... It was uh, it was definitely a flyer in the wrong direction. So those three circles have kind of kept me um, pointed in the right direction since I really got a hold of Jim Collins' uh, methodology. Yeah, and Jim Collins is definitely worth reading. And basically, I mean, basically to sum up this podcast, we're going over what kills a business. And the first thing is sort of a combination of two, and one is is not having a clear strategy or having too many. And this is sort of an iterative process because a lot of it, you can build up a great strategy and then the shiny object syndrome takes over. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is boring. I've actually learned how to do it well. And let's do this and let's do that and let's do this and let's do that. And and that can, and again, every time you start over, you might not start back at square one, but you start back at the very beginning of that slow but sure exponential growth path. And it, you know you have 10 businesses at the very beginning versus one at the very uh, that's really taking off um, you're not going to have well you're you know 10 businesses making ten thousand dollars or 10 not 10 businesses but 10 strategies each making ten thousand dollars a year isn't going to do anything compared to one business that's you know growing um, exponentially growing uh, doubling every year or thereabout so it really these kind of come together the, the first two mistakes is one not having a clear strategy and the second one is having too many strategies. Or and, and that's not to say you can never, I guess this needs a major caveat. It's not to say you can never add a new strategy. You can never add a new department, a new division, a new plan. But you have to really get the first one locked down. You never master anything. You can always get better at it. But really have it down. And then you can start a new one perhaps uh, that if particularly to take advantage of a particular opportunity. But if you're just uh, – if you start to take your focus off, like all of a sudden one gets a little bit boring, you've kind of gotten a handle of it. And then, you know, the new shiny object comes, you move over to the next one, you're really starting back a long ways. And it's really, it's something that, that really has been the bane of a lot of entrepreneurs and real estate investors. Well, and one thing I would, I always say is, you know, it's really important for us to have our foundation really strong so that, you know, that foundation company, we really know what we're doing we spend most of our energy making sure that company that is the foundation make you know is really hits the nail on the head with all of it and then build the strategies from there and if you want to go in another direction and this is another Jim Collins shoot bullets not missiles or what what does he say cannonballs meaning okay you you do want to try something else out try it out in a small way and don't just stop what you're don't doing convert and throw an everything. entire hundred unit portfolio mm-hmm. to Airbnbs overnight. Right. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a matter of, at least in my experience, you 
you want to have a business that pulls in now cash that allows you to fund kind of the buy and hold stuff as well. So whether that's like looking at the most successful buy and hold investors I know, they either flip to fund buy and hold, they're wholesaling to fund buy and hold, they're a large successful high-end real estate agent taking that cash to put it into buy and hold. So I think it's a matter of like, you have to be able to make money while deals are in the process. But um, I also think, you know, there's a reason I don't really do flips, <laughs> right? It's, I'm not great at them. Um, it's You're talking retail flips to homeowner, oh, homeowners, aren't you? So you don't do the rehab is what you're saying, right? When you say flips. Yeah, correct. I mean, we're not, we're not doing like retail flips very often. Occasionally we will if something kind of falls in our lap. But my kind of thought process is if I'm going to do that much work, I want to keep it forever, not, you know, turn around and flip it in 30 days. So I think that's part of having a clear business strategy comes back to how are you going to make money? And then what are you going to do with that money? And if you're a real estate investor, well, you're probably going to put the money into buy and hold, um, but you've got to have something else that's pulling in cash as well. There's a bit of a myth that with with the Burr investing model, um, that's a little bit a uh, little bit of a tangent. But uh, the Burr, the buy rehab refinance, re, buy rehab rent refinance repeat strategy, which is basically flipping to yourself, refinancing out all of your original investment. I think a lot of people think that you can basically do that without any cash. And because if you have a flip and you don't do that well, and you're onto it for eighty five percent, you sell, you still make a profit. Not a great one, but you make something. There will be cases like that. There'll be bad appraisals. So it is something that it's hard. It's pretty much not something you can do or consistently do uh, without any sort of either cash coming in or cash on hand. If you have some savings, that's great. If you have a partner or something like that, but just going right off the bat with virtually nothing or or, or very little is not is kind of doomed to failure with Burr. So well, there is not- a point. It's not just no, even if let's say you execute one where you get back all kinds of cash back, right? You have to pay for utilities. You have to pay for insurance. You have to pay for the marketing typically to get that deal up front. You are going to have some like exposure here. Um, And that's, you know, if everything goes perfectly, you don't leave anything into the deal. But, you know, again, (laughs) uh, we're people. It's not every deal is not going to be perfect. We're going to miss stuff. Um, we're going to, you know, think we fixed something. And then like we ran into an Indianapolis, we had a GC we had to let go of because we had to go back and redo a bunch of his stuff. So like, well, yeah, we budgeted for it and it was done, but not to our standards. So now we're having to put more money into deals we hadn't planned for. So it's, you know, in theory, maybe if you're doing one at a time and you're being extremely cautious and you're doing one or two a year, yeah, you may be able to get away with never putting any cash into a deal. Maybe you have a really good banking relationship. But More house hacking. Yeah, but I think you're setting yourself up for failure if you kind of have this pie-in-the-sky dream of like, oh, I'm going to buy 500 units and never have to put in a single dollar and everything's going to go according to plan. That's not how real estate investing works. No, it's not. And so – when developing a strategy at the beginning, it, it might be, it might, the other, I guess the other thing to just myth might be that you sit down paper and pad and you come up with this incredible business plan right off the bat. And then you start, it will be something that you have to build and work towards and, and create, um, as you go along. It's sort of 
sort of a mindset to get into in business in general is nothing is ever complete. You're never done. And so it's always working towards something. So perhaps, you know, you're, you start off as a flipper and then like Ryan move more towards wholesaling and trying to hold or something like that. And so your, your strategy develops sort of in, um, evolution, you know, it kind of evolves and, uh, and, and, but all the long, you shouldn't be just doing things. Uh, there's a great Bill Walton quote, you know, never, never mistake activity for achievement. Just doing something is not accomplishing something necessarily. It feels good. But. It, yeah. <laughs> um, and so in, insofar as that is the case, you want to be looking for, okay, what's my niche? And we've had a podcast on niche you can check out, niches you can check out. You want to, you want to really hone in on that. What area do you want to buy in? or what types of areas, what price point, are you flipping, are you wholesaling, are you holding, are you doing a mix of them, are you, you know, are you, and then develop that strategy from there and really hone in on it. And it's sort of, you're sort of narrowing your funnel as you, as you work this through, you should have an idea going in. You shouldn't, you shouldn't just go in blind. You're like, I think I want to wholesale properties and also hold a couple of them. And then, uh, you know, look at the areas and you kind of find one and this is pretty good. Oh, maybe it's not the best. I'm going to switch over and go a little bit nicer because this one's hard to, uh, find quality residents in. And so you kind of hone in on that strategy. Once, once you've honed in on it, then you want to maintain it build off and move in sort of like, okay, you're going to need to change things, but you don't want to radically shift something, generally speaking, uh, maybe in very rare circumstances, you know, but generally you want to like, okay, I want to add some, you know, I want to start adding small multis or, or something like that. Every once in a while, an incredible opportunity will come along and you might need to be ready to make a major shift, but that should not be something you do lightly. And you got, um, because I, you're going to feel like these come like the, the strat, like, I guess the difference would be like a deal comes by. That's just obviously the deal of the century, not quite your niche. You're going to want to do extra research and due diligence in that. But if you just go to a seminar and they're talking about this great new thing, that's the best thing ever. That's when the shiny object syndrome kind of comes into play. So you really want to, I know that's kind of a lot of different things, a lot of caveats, unfortunately in business, it, there are a lot of caveats. And so, but in generally speaking, you want to sort of have a niche in mind, start to narrow it down, make your changes sort of, sort of, uh, systematically and not radically and, uh, and, and not, and try to avoid the shiny objects as best as possible. Boy, I would encourage you if you're listening to this to, uh, re rewind uh, Andrew's last two and a half minutes of talking and listen to that again, because that is like the most critical thing you can do in starting out. And I, I would consider niching down. So you niche down. I'll give you an example. When I finally did, I, I kind of fell into the student rental market. It became very lucrative. I realized this was a tremendous niche, but I I, I realized I couldn't buy things where I could see campus from them because they were just too freaking expensive. It's the most expensive uh, real estate in our area is something that close across the street from campus. So I, I really concurrently, I also realized that if I could add to the number of bedrooms, I could increase rental value. So my strategy was to start focusing on the B and C ring around campus and forget about the A ring. And, and move out a little farther and then only focus on properties that had an upside of square footage that you could add bedrooms to. 
uh, and bathrooms as well. And so that even got me into the C-ring around concentric circles around campus. But in my mind, that was niching down. And the three circles of what I was passionate about, I, I had a campus ministry background, and I like students. The fact that I figured out how to do it well and that it really drove our economic engine as a company kind of came together. And the shiny uh, object syndrome did did come my way way too often, like I bought uh, into a trucking business. Uh, I have five belly dump trucks, if you can imagine, during this period where I was having such great success. That was, that was pre-Amanda, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that was it was pre, uh, uh, well, that was when I was losing my mind. Amanda uh, does not have the power to curtail shiny object syndrome. <laughs> so you can say you're a recovering shiny object a chaser, but I would say yeah. you're still deep in the addiction. <laughs> well, I was like, yeah, just lease optioning pawns. <laughs> so uh, then, well, here uh, you can now erase what Amanda just said, but. Uh, but what uh, i would say is that at some point and andrew did mention this you can start to niche up after you've niched way down and become extremely uh, have extreme expertise in, in what you're doing you can start to find other opportunities coming your way and as you niche up we started getting into multifamily we started getting into regular um, uh, single family, uh, and we, we began to niche up in a way that gave us uh, other geographical locations eventually. Now we're talking years here, uh, but now, now we're even into some, some really crazy stuff where we niched up into affordable housing on multifamilies. That's not something I ever thought we'd, I'd get into, but it just kind of opportunity led to opportunity, but we have a financial base that allows us to niche up at this point. If that's not where you're at, you might want to niche down. And and so I guess again, if only we could give binary solutions. Like in this case, do yes, do it. In this case, don't. But I guess I'd give a few guidelines. Um, generally speaking, you want to have an idea of what you want. You know, do get your education, um, and then have an idea of what you want to accomplish, and um, and then start to move. You know, have an idea of what your strategy is, and then start to try start to narrow down that niche, and start and try to avoid the shiny objects. Generally, once you've started to master that niche, and that, of course you never master it, but once you've started to, then you can start looking for other, uh, adding another niche. And this you're going to need employees or partners to do that. You don't want to be involved in two niches at the same time, just yourself. Um, and then the other point is, if you are going to go into another niche, fire bullets, not cannonballs. You know. Do it small. Don't go big. The only exception is the absolute killer, you know, just deal of the century that comes your way. And this has happened, you know, the black swans, you know, uh, that that just don't seem to make sense but are not in your in your category. And when that happens, uh, it's not a bad idea to – I mean, you're going to need to do extra research, extra due diligence. Uh, be very careful uh, with making sure you've dot all your I's, cross all your T's, maybe even bring somebody in. Uh, who's more of an expert in that? I mean, make sure you've got like a non-disclosure agreement so they don't steal the deal from you. But you want to be very cautious because there are a lot of deals that, you know, they look good on the surface, but because you aren't familiar with that type of strategy, they end up coming back to bite you very bad. And I've seen A deals go to F deals. Um, in some ways, I mean, that's, we've had deals in Kansas City here where we thought it was a great deal. And then later, like, nah, I mean, we bought a 12-unit a, a apartment complex that we thought was a great deal. 
it had a, a HAP contract. Basically, it was kind of like Section Eight, except it stuck with the building. So if some, you know, it wasn't people with Section Eight vouchers coming; they were coming in, and then they'd get uh, HUD payments in the building. And it turned out to be incredibly hard to manage. Couldn't find uh, another. We had a hard, hard time with the manager. We couldn't find another manager because uh, those buildings are usually a hundred units. No one managed to manage twelve, and then we so we had to opt out of the contract. People moved out. The units were in terrible shape. We had to do a very major rehab. We have a good property now, but it wasn't worth the cost and effort that went into it. And so that deal seemed like an incredible deal at the beginning, and it turned out to be not such a good – well, it turned out to be probably a bad deal in the long run. And that's because we probably jumped into a type of investment that we were not we were not experts in just because it looked good. And so those deals can be great. I'm not saying if you got the deal of century just because it's not in your area, I'm not saying to avoid it, just being – extra cautious doing extra research extra due diligence and trying to find somebody who is an expert and getting their feedback so andrew was brave enough to talk about his uh 12 unit faux pas so it's my turn (laughs) so um i i think like most investors that have primarily done single family or like you know duplexes triplexes and quads was like grass is greener you know cap rate force appreciation let's kind of get in this whole multifamily thing and uh that bit us in the rear quite a bit. So we bought this 12 unit that like, I'm not convinced that fraud didn't go on at this point. Um, you know, rent rolls, everything looked great. Biggest, very expensive lesson I learned on this thing was we checked everything, but we didn't verify deposits. And I think had we done that, we probably either would have never bought this deal gotten a significantly better deal, or we would have found out the guy really did commit fraud in selling it to us. Long story short, we tried treating a multifamily like a house. And, you know, if you buy a house that's tenant occupied, you know, you kind of plan on at some point, they're going to leave and you're going to have stuff to fix. Well, we had that, but 12 fold. (laughs) So it seemed like in the first 30 days, everybody just like invited cockroaches in as tenants and started smoking meth. It made like no sense how quickly this building just like kind of imploded on itself. And we ended up with 10 or 11 evictions within 45 days. So we had all of this, um, you know, CapEx that we knew we were going to have to do, but we thought we were going to get to ride the gravy train a little bit before this came out. And, um, you know, we went into it woefully underprepared. I think the biggest lesson we learned was our property management wasn't nearly as dialed in as it should have been, which is why I mean, honestly, we bought like 70 units in 2019. And that was in like the first four or five months, we didn't buy anything else for the portfolio for the rest of the year, because we had to get our property management figured out. Um, So on that deal, we ended up what we thought was going to be cash, we'd get to just kind of like, gleefully put in as people naturally left your mailbox money wasn't coming into the mailbox totally (laughs) passive totally passive uh yeah you know no it was like the most dramatic you know evictions cps calls i mean all kinds of just junk to get everybody out and then all of this cash that we thought we were going to get to do over a year or two was like okay cool uh we need this in 45 days so, you know, I think that is one of the one of the things with having a business plan is, you know, looking back at it, 
prior to that, we'd done extremely well. Like we, our economic vacancy was pretty solid. We didn't really have many evictions or much stuff outstanding. And then it was kind of like, that was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back of, okay, we have, we have some growing to do here. Well, and I think the big difference there is, you know, you were doing the onesie, twosies, threesies, and oftentimes rehabbing and then putting your own resident into the situation. Correct. And buying other people's problems are, are, is not my yeah. favorite. Uh, you know, you didn't. The moral of the story is clear. Don't ever buy a 12 <laughs> So That's, that's 13, right. 11, perfect. <laughs> I, would say, I would say one thing is that this can torpedo your business. If you make a mistake on the front end of your business strategy, you've got to kind of live with that mistake and try to correct it. And that can really pull you down. So... The nice thing about single family, and I, I do like multifamily, I have to tell you, uh, for many reasons, economic scale that you can do. But but the nice thing about single families is you can sell them so much easier to homeowners or whoever, and you can get out of a problem. When you get a multifamily, you're talking about a whole different kind of buyer if you need to sell it. And this, this property, for instance, we can't sell. We have to correct the problems. I, I'd love to just, you know, put this on the market let it be somebody, you know, hopefully kind of make what we have into it. Let it be somebody else's problem. But you can't do that at this point. We have to take this all the way through, which means it's going to soak up a lot of our time and energy to correct this. So, you know, if you're right there, uh, you know, again, be careful about uh, taking the next step into a new And biting off more Uh, than you can chew. Because honestly, if you're just a you know, solopreneur and you don't have reserves in the bank to cover this kind of a, I mean, we'll call it a mistake or maybe just a learning experience or a learning process. If you don't have that to cover that, you're sunk. I mean, if you 12 people that weren't ever really paying rent aren't that you were counting on paying rent, you don't receive any rent. You're on the hook for a mortgage, insurance, repairs, Everything, utilities, all of it, it's on you. And if you don't have the money to pay for that, you know, you're going in foreclosure right off the bat. So it's really part of, you know, part of that strategy really is building up to it. And then part of your strategy is making sure you're in the position to cover all the bases. And we've said this a lot, and it's obviously not something we coined ourselves, but always plan for the worst and hope for the best, but plan for the absolute worst. Plan for 0% occupancy and evicting every single resident because that could possibly happen. I think that's part of having a good business strategy. I mean, I, um, I own a couple companies that aren't, you know, real estate investment portfolios. And one of the, I think the biggest lessons I've learned is, you know, there's times where you're putting out fires and you're realizing I should have seen this coming down the pipeline, but I didn't, right? So I think as an investor, looking at those, okay, if you buy one house, what do you do if that person doesn't pay? What do you do if they cause $10,000 worth of damage on their way out? Because, I mean, in my experience, good luck getting that money out of them ever, (laughs) right? What do you do if you have an insurance claim and you have to put them up in a hotel and you don't have reserves or something like that? So I I think it's one of those things to try to foresee, like Amanda mentioned, what are the ways this could go sideways 
And how would we handle that? I mean, I think that's super smart in life in general, right? If you go through it, just um, Bill Bill has the, I think it's a Bill quote of expectations are kind of just pre-planned resentments. Premeditated think, resentments. Expectations are premeditated resentments. Probably the un, unspoken expectations. All right. Are there okay, you cool. Sh- you should have it's, some expectations. I expect you not to punch you me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're never disappointed that way. But no, I think I think you can have I think you can build resentment towards your business if you go into it with kind of these rose-colored glasses and part of your business strategy when you're setting up is having some contingency plans. And on that 12 unit for instance, we're fortunate that we own some really nice single families that We've been able to liquidate to pull in cash to help offset some of the capital needs there. If all I owned was that 12 unit, <laughs> be like, well, okay, oh, real estate investing doesn't work. It's a scam, you know, and you sell it for a loss. So I, I think knowing um, knowing your potential exits where you can pull cash from if you need to and kind of trying to expect the unexpected is never a bad um, attitude or even something to have in writing for your business plans. Way less stressful if you have options. Well, and then outlined. another thing about it is, you know, you come up with a say you come up with a plan and that's just what you want to do because that was the plan you came up with. But the plan isn't working. Like it's okay to decide that you need to do something different and make a change or come up with a new plan. You can't just say, that's the plan. That's what I said I was going to do. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep doing it, banging my head against this brick wall. Eventually I'll get what I want. At some point, you know, yes, the plan was just an idea when you were coming up with it. You you tried to implement it. Maybe it worked. Maybe it didn't work. And maybe there's something that has to change along the way. That doesn't mean, you know, like Andrew had talked about, you just go do something completely the opposite, but maybe you look for something complimentary that's maybe a better fit for your market or you as an entrepreneur or you as a person. You find a place to be. As the four of us on this call, can any of us say that the reality met the expectations we had before we started? I can't. (laughs) Like, oh, it's going to be like mailbox money. Going to be Bill has one partnership that is, is like that. Yeah. Very little work and it's mailbox yeah, it money him. and there's no debt. And it just, it was a, it was the right time place at the right time sort of venture, but that's, that's a very niche, very, niche-y, it, very unusual, unusual. But, so there's unusual. one. Yeah. Th- that's not really real estate properties. Nope. It's more but notes, it's, which is, which is. Yes. But is I will say there's but. one that my expectations were low and they've, it's exceeded expectations, but Usually it's no. So the rest of us are disappointed. No. Is that what I'm the hearing? thing about that one though is that just wasn't very much work. That was just a right place, right time. The rest of the stuff works out. It's just when you're in the middle of making it work out, it doesn't feel like you're getting it's just more work than right. you initially. And planned it's for. not overnight. You're not just like, oh wow, this we're just firing on all cylinders and this is amazing and everything's working. It's like 10 years later, you look back and think, oh wow, we built something really great. That was amazing. We did it. I I look at it kind of like a race car, right? Like things are going to run great. Then something's going to explode. And then you fix that piece, you rebuild that piece, and you're going to get further down the track. You're going to get faster. Something else is going to break. I mean, that has just been, I have two businesses that pull in seven figures a year in revenue. And that has been my experience with both of them. 
of, I think it's going to be X and then, oh crap, we never foresaw that. And then, okay, cool. We've got that fixed. And then something else comes up. So no, I think it's one of my favorite quotes um, that I tell like my C-level employees all the time when stuff comes up, it's always harder and it always takes more work than we initially assume it's going to at the onset. It's just like rehab. Rehab always takes longer and costs more than you think. So you need to build in those contingencies. So so goes with with business, all those more twists and turns all the way along. Um, yeah, but again, building a strategy is a process indeed. Um, and it's it's something, even at the beginning, like if you're stuck at square one, I think like just getting yourself educated, which is your first step, you know, listening to podcasts, reading articles, reading books, going to seminars, getting, or well, going to networking events, to um, going to uh, you know going to your local RIA, getting all that information, um, getting yourself educated. I think a lot of people just endlessly get educated, uh, but you want to uh, see it like don't don't count don't count education as as building a business. You want to do both and separate them out. Plan to like in, in like I'm going to spend this much time educate you know getting educated, reading, etc. And this much time building the business or approximately, you don't need to be that specific. And once you start building the business, you also want to start building your strategy. It's just like policies. Once you've done something and you figure out this doesn't work, figure out a policy that does and then stick to it. And then you just slowly but surely build your business and you slow and then, you know, and you try to narrow down that funnel. And then maybe once you've mastered that, you try to expand it to the next thing. Uh, that's it's a slow, steady process it takes longer. It's harder than you think. But it is very important because if you get off the beaten path, then, well, uh, then all of a sudden you're just uh, you're just kind of doing stuff. I, I do want to highlight doing on stuff the education have a great record. piece. When you're setting up a business strategy, make sure you're learning from people that are like doing it. Um, you know, I think one of the most frustrating things I see is people who don't have a single rental property giving advice on how to manage rentals. Right. And uh, I'll be super blunt, like the biggest changes in, in advancements in my life have come from hiring people that are uniquely skilled in what they're good at. I just bought someone's course on YouTube stuff yesterday and I've realized, holy crap, I've been doing all this stuff wrong. I was watching all this free content from people that weren't really making it happen in my investment career. Um, totally changed the course of my career. I joined a mastermind, right? So if you're, I think there's one thing to be said about, and this isn't paid education versus free. This is just, um, I forget what book it comes from, but it says, make sure the people you're learning from, uh, he calls them blind regurgitators of other people's stories and facts. Like make sure you're learning from the person that's been through it, not someone who hypothetically thinks they know how they would handle a 12 unit going to hell, right? Um, you know, I reached out and was like, so am I the only one that's done this? <laughs> like, okay, cool. And what I found out, every multifamily investor I know has done the exact same thing. They had a property they bought that they probably shouldn't have bought looking back at it that they had to fix. And it's just kind of part of the trajectory. But make, make sure as you're educating and learning that you're like this podcast is a great example, totally free, but you literally have people that oversee over a hundred million dollars worth of assets in multiple markets around the country. I can't think of a better group to ask 
questions to, right? Student housing, we've done it. Development, we've done it. Single family, we've done it. Multifamily repositions in the hood in Texas, we've done it, right? It's, you're not talking to somebody on a forum that's like a keyboard warrior who's can't tell you how many times somebody's been like, well, I've just been, I've been researching for the last 17 years. And it's like, you know, nothing, <laughs> right? Uh, so make sure as you're educating and learning, you're asking questions from and of people who have the actual track record, not just those who've thought about it. I'm gonna hop off my soapbox. <laughs> and that soapbox will be where we end here today. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, again, check out our podcast, thegoodstewards.com. Check out our free ebook. Please share our content. And if you have any questions, please submit them to us. We'd be happy to answer them. Thank you again for joining us and have a wonderful day. Thank you.